Please turn in your Bibles to this morning's scripture, Psalms 2, verse 1 through 12. If you would like to follow along in a pew Bible, you can find the passage on page 448. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good to be with you this morning. Thank you for the honor and the privilege given for us to look at the Word of God. We have before us this morning, without question, one of the grand, great texts in the Older Testament that has been given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that for those of us who have known the Lord for a long time, that familiarity will not breed contempt, but that we will give heed to what God's word has to say and the power that is contained in this text. So please join me as we humbly come before our God and ask his Holy Spirit to lead us this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we tremble at this text this morning for its grandeur, for its power, for its dominion and authority and lordship that is proclaimed in all of creation for us to see and then to realize as this psalm was written just one, simply 1,000 years in advance of your coming into this world, Lord Jesus, it boldly and beautifully presents you as the royal son of the living God. Oh, what wonder, how amazing. Jesus, glorious King of kings, deigns to call us your beloved, 
and lets us rest beneath your wings. My prayer is for those this day who need to be reminded of your lordship and greatness that this text by the power of your spirit would speak. For those who hurt and who mourn and who grieve, my prayer is that this text would deeply comfort them in the balms of Gilead. And for those who are in high places of leadership in our area, state, nation, and world, may they come to realize fresh and anew, Lord Jesus, the power and dominion of your great name as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Holy Spirit of God, we pray for your visitation upon us today as we look to your word. Lord Jesus Christ, be our master teacher so that you, God the Father, would be glorified. And yes, O Lord, for the one who now speaks, would you kindly hear his prayers for the forgiveness of his sins, for he knows that they are many. Because in this time, we want to see and understand in a deeper and greater way the wonder, the dominion, the power, the lordship of you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. So please be present with us, we pray. We ask this in the blessed name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and all God's people said. We are continuing our series of studies through certain shepherd psalms that have been written that are songs of the shepherd, songs of the king. And today we find ourselves in one of the great, great passages in all of the Older Testament, Psalm 2. You'll find it interesting that many perceive Psalm 2 and Psalm 1 in its oral development to be actually one psalm in its, in its earliest stages of development. And that would make sense when you look at the fact that Psalm 1 begins, blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of sinners or, or, or rest in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. It begins with blessed. The end of Psalm 2 the very last words of Psalm 2, say it with me, are, blessed are those who take refuge in him. And when you look at the structure of how both of these psalms are organized, it, it makes sense to see that at one time they would be together. Now in your Bible here, it doesn't mention in the ascription, there's no ascription at all as to who wrote Psalm 2. However... The early believers in Acts chapter 4, in their prayer, once Peter and John were released from the religious leaders and rulers, when they came back together again, in Acts chapter 4, they say that in quoting this, a portion of this psalm in their prayer, they attribute it to our father David. This is a royal psalm, a psalm written by royalty, King David. Many believe that it was based either in 2 Samuel 8 or chapter 10, one of those two passages. 
I would encourage you maybe later today to look at these passages. I think personally it was 2 Samuel 10. Because in the midst of hostility, in the midst of enemies surrounding David, he has this tremendous contemplation. He sees all the unrest, all the fury, all the arrogance of the nations around him. And he cries out, why? And from that experience that David has, he pens this psalm. And what's interesting about it is this psalm is set, when you look at the structure of it, you know, the, the Jews, if you've ever been around Jews, and, and a, no, a number of us have been to Israel, we've seen uh, uh, I've been around, I've, I've been taking many trips to Israel through my, my lifetime, and one thing I know about Jews is that they are emotional, they are expressive, and they love a good drama. And there are many scholars who believe that Psalm 2 is actually set in the context of a dramatic play. So that as the different scenes of this play are acted out, those listening and watching this play will experience a, a number of emotions and questions and responses in their own lives, making them ponder and wonder why things are the way they are in this world. So with your Bibles open, and there's an outline for you there in your Bible, in your bulletin, I should say, let's look at the different scenes of this dramatic play that's being presented. Now keep in mind, David, as royalty, as king, is personally experiencing the ruckus and the turmoil and the humiliation of some of his messengers, as 2 Samuel 10 talks about. And he looks at their anger and their fury. And so he begins a time of pondering. Act 1 begins with David asking the question, Why? Do the nations rage? It's like a sense of bewilderment. Have you ever asked that question? Now, I don't know about you, but I, when I watch, I don't watch the news a lot. I've found that when I watch the news, it's not good for my soul. <laughs> but when I do, in fact, just two weeks ago, something deeply stirred my soul. I'm a, I'm a big fan of history documentaries on television. And the latest Ken Burns documentary came out on the Holocaust. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. And I looked at that, and I saw the countless horrific evil and brutality 
where millions upon millions upon millions of people were killed, Jews especially. But then there are times when I watch the, the news at night and I have to stand back and just sit to my, and ask myself, have you asked yourself this? Why do people do what they do? Do I have a witness? Why in the world do people do what they do? That's what David is experiencing personally in this psalm. And he goes into pondering contemplative thought. Why do the nations rage And the peoples of this world, the Gentiles, the Goyim, the Gentiles, why do they plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers gather together against the Lord. Oh, their rage is not against just mere flesh and blood. Their rage is against the Lord God Almighty. They raise their fist in anger against the Lord God Almighty. That's act one of this dramatic play. Have you ever asked yourself that question when you look around the world where you are today right now? How can people be so crazy? How can they be so furious and angry? And in revolt against every known form of authority that is in this world. Do I have a witness? You ever thought about that? That shows you the relevance of God's word. David goes on to talk about all these things that they do. They they, they rage. They plot. That word plot in the Hebrew there is the same verb for meditate. Like in Psalm 1-2. And on this law, this godly person meditates on it. That same fixation of meditation is the same verb used to describe the raging, plotting, and fixation of the heathen toward Almighty God. They set themselves, they take counsel together. As one commentator says, a very beehive of unholy industry here is pictured. It involves in plotting the human will, their rages, the human heart. They set themselves and take counsel together. They they form alliances against Almighty God, the human mind. All three are actively at work. And they have this mantra among them, this saying, let us cast aside their cords, let us break their bands. They want to have nothing to do with Almighty God. Which leads me to ask a question. Have you seen any of that through, historically through the scriptures? Have you noticed as you start from Genesis and go through to Revelation, how many times 
Do you see people and evil rising up and revolting against God? Well, I got to thinking about it for a little bit. It didn't take long. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Come on. In the beginning, God. Of course, the evil says, no, it's evolution. Genesis 1.26. God says, let us make man in our image. And it says, in the image of God, he created them male and female. Of course, gender identity today says, no, we are the ones that are going to decide what our gender is going to be, not the Lord God creator almighty. Genesis chapter 2, God establishes three creation notices, the Sabbath, work, and marriage. Uh, Any of those under attack today? (laughs) Genesis chapter 3, the devil in the form of a serpent looks at Eve and says, you won't surely die. By violating God's command. And all it took was one bite and then she gave it to her husband and we've been in trouble ever since. (laughs) Genesis 6. The sons of God came down and married the daughters of men and an evil human race was created called the Nephilim. Whose sole purpose is to search out and destroy anything that's a part of the redemptive line. That was epitomized and seen in Goliath. All those many hundreds of years later, when Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 looks at the armies of Israel and he says, Today I defy the armies of Israel. Oh, I love David. 1 Samuel 17, David. You see, David knew the word of God. And David comes down. From his father's house, he sees what's going on, and he sees this nine-foot-tall giant who he knows is a descendant of the Nephilim, the sons of God in Genesis 6. And with all the courage, he looks at that Goliath, and he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the army of the living God? Genesis chapter 11, Babel. Come, let us build and make a tower that goes all the way to the heavens. Classic humanism in revolt against God. Go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 2. Herod orders the slaughter of all male two-year-olds and under. Because he wants nothing to do with the Messiah that the Magi told him about. You go to John Chapter 18, Jesus stands before Pilate, and he says to Pilate, all who listen to the truth will listen to me. And Pilate says, in defiance, what is truth? You have on the cruel, rugged cross of Calvary in John chapter 19 and the the other gospels, the revolt and the hatred of humanity. Toward God. Acts chapter 19, the riot at Ephesus. 
where instead of praising God and thanking God and blessing God for sending his son, whom Paul preached at Ephesus, no, there was a great uproar in the theater at Ephesus. Some of us have seen that great theater. And not saying great is God Almighty, they say great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So much so that through time you see this staged, organized revolt against Almighty God. Is it any different today? No. With sharp contrast, we move to Act 2, beginning in verse 4. Act 2, what a, what a change. The scene changes from all the, the hatred and fury and unrest upon earth now to Act 2. He who sits in the heavens. The scene now is the heavens. God is still sitting. He doesn't even stand up. Did you notice that? He doesn't even stand up. He just sits. And what's even more so, what does he do? The text says, he who sits in the heaven laughs. And he holds them in derision. Behold your almighty God. Nothing catches him by surprise. Nothing, nothing makes him look at what happens upon this earth up to his throne and says, oh, I didn't know that. Thank you for letting me know. I appreciate that. Absolutely not. He sees the fury, the anger, the revolt against his authority. He sits in heaven and he laughs at it. And he has a mantra. Whereas the, the mantra of the nations upon the earth is let us cast aside these cords, let us break these bands, God says, as for me, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now get a load of that. Understand what's happening here. God is saying, I, and that's in the emphatic there, I have installed or set that word set in the ESV can also, be, can also mean I have inaugurated, I have installed. I like the word coronate. I have coronated my king, my Mashiach, my Messiah, my anointed one, which was previously mentioned earlier in Act 1. I have installed my king, my anointed one, my Messiah, on Zion, my holy hill, the seat of where I rule. And in the, this incredible word, verse 5 says, all he has to do is speak to them in his fury and wrath and terrify them. All it takes is the breath of God Almighty to speak. He doesn't even have to stand up. He speaks. 
And before you know it, the peoples of the earth, like they say in the Gospels, oh, that the rocks would fall upon us, that we would hide. We can find a way to hide ourselves from the glory and the righteousness and the power and the fire from our God, who is the the writer of Hebrews chapter 13 says, our God is a consuming fire. It is this magnificence of God Almighty saying, in the midst of all of the fury and of 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 all the rebellion and revolt against my authority, I've set my king, my king. I love Spurgeon. Spurgeon says, it's not only the king of the enemies, it's not only the king of the saints who are upon this earth, it's also God's king. And in, in, in effect, what Spurgeon is saying, it is God the Father's choice of his king, his son, to be the one who is on Zion's holy hill. Which leads us now to Act 3. And in verse 7, you have one of the great, great verses. It is the central part of this psalm. It is one of the central parts of the introduction of this psalter. Remember, Psalm 1 and 2 probably were together. And so as people were beginning their reading and their singing of the great songs of Zion, as an introduction to the entire Psalter, this is one of the first great truths that they sing about. God's anointed, God's Messiah, God's chosen king is his son. And in verse 7, you got to catch this. you got to look very, very carefully at this text in verse 7. It'll catch up on you, and you won't catch the beauty of it. Because in verse 7, the Messiah himself is speaking. Do you see that? In verse 7, it says, I... This is a... a a confession that comes out of a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. Verse 7, this anointed one, this king says, I will tell of the decree, the Lord, say it with me, the Lord said to me. Do you see that? In other words, what is happening here is Jesus Christ himself steps into the spotlight. And in verse 7, he is now declaring and proclaiming this great decree, eternally prepared in eternity past within the beautiful confines of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now in the spotlight in this dramatic presentation, he steps forward, receives the spotlight. And he says, I will now proclaim this decree. The Lord, God the Father, said to me, God the Son, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now, we got to understand what's going on here. We need to catch the breadth of this brilliance by King David. King David is is the seer 
He is the one that is seeing this. Yes, he's in the midst of his own troubles with the nations around him, which caused him to even contemplate this at the beginning. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? But in the midst of all of the disturbance that was going around him, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. He sees where God the Father has said to God the Son, you are my son. And it rings into David's ear. Oh, I remember that. Because Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel chapter 7 came to me and gave me the promise of the covenant. That from my bloodline, my lineage, King David says, there will come one who would be the Messiah. Who would be the anointed one? Who would be one who would have an eternal dominion over all? It is that person that Nathan the prophet said to him and foretold to him in 2 Samuel 7 that now David sees as a seer and he hears God the Son, the anointed Messiah, the one chosen by God the Father. He sees him step forward now and say, The Lord said to me, You are my son. And of course, Jesus has the title of son, both in terms of he is the son of God, and also he is the son of man. And Jesus uses both of those beautifully in his earthly ministry you can go to the gospel of john just read chapters five and six and you'll see both of those expressions come through and then in the midst of saying you are my son david hears these words today i have begotten you jesus christ the anointed messiah of god is the only begotten Son of God and Son of Man. Begotten, monogamous in the original. He is the unique one, the set-aside one, the one who is purposefully appointed from eternity past to be the redeemer of God's elect, to be the king over all God's creation. So much so, that the Apostle Paul can say in Acts chapter 13 as well as Romans chapter 4 that the day in which God declared Jesus Christ to be to the world. Now, to the heavenly host, from eternity past, he's always been the eternal Son of God. But in human witness and in human eyes, Paul's words in Romans chapter 1 verse 4 and his preaching in Acts chapter 13 at Antioch makes it very clear that on the day of resurrection when our Lord Jesus Christ who was laid in the tomb for three days was raised again from the dead in power and in glory as Paul says in Romans 1.4 by the spirit of holiness. That powerful resurrection is where all the heavens and all the earth declared that Jesus Christ the anointed Messiah of God he is the begotten one, the unique one, the one of a kind, 
He is the one that is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's what John pictured in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, upon that one riding the faithful, whose name is Faithful and True, who is riding on that right horse. And all the host of heaven dressed in linen, whites following him, and on his thigh and on his robe were written the inscription in Revelation 19, 16, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is what Psalm 2-7 is all about. The central focus in the Davidic dynasty of David and Solomon. One is coming who will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so he continues in verses 8 and 9 by saying, The Lord said to me, Ask of me. And I will give the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. We see that fulfilled in Revelation. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, I shiver when I think of the beauty and wonder of what Calvary and the empty tomb did. He purchased for us and for his father a kingdom, and a priest. People from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation that will all gather around the throne washed in the blood of the Lamb, triumphant because of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And they all cry out, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory It is this vision, this image of who our Lord is that is central to this psalm. And so therefore, the final scene in this psalm has has David sort of looking out at his audience and basically saying, nah, 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 you better listen to what I've got to tell you now. Therefore, verses 10 11 and 12, therefore, now therefore, be wise, O rulers, O kings, and be warned. Here's a conclusion that has some consequences to it. Be warned, rulers of the earth. Kings, uh, you better listen up. Not only then, but now. Nations of the world, hear me. You think you're in control? President of the United States, Congress, justices of the Supreme Court, you think you're in control? I got news for you. You're not. Be warned. Be wise. You better Take stock of what's here and what's coming. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Tremendous. What what a mixed, mingled feelings here. Serve with fear. Rejoice with trembling. That's because when you look at all of the spectrum of the attributes of God, his holiness, justice, righteousness, purity, mixed with his love, his compassion, his goodness, his gentleness. Woo! 
There's so much. You better stand in reverence. You better stand in humility. You better stand in submission to the greatness of God and to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, therefore God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, Presbyterians can't say amen. We were doing it a long time before the Baptists did, by the way, historically. <laughs> then there's this wonderful saying, kiss the sun. It's a title given, a title given in that day because his wrath can flare up in a moment. It was a, it's a title given to express, it's called the kiss of Fealty. We don't use that word a lot, but sworn loyalty. You better give homage. You better pay up. Because there, are day, there is a day coming when he will come again. And he will right that which is wrong. He will correct that which is false. And he will shine the light on all that is evil. Oh, my friends, let me tell you, I take great, great comfort in this magnificent psalm. Because the final words of this psalm simply say, blessed are those, say it with me, blessed are those who take refuge in him. Say it with me again, blessed are those who take refuge in him. I take great comfort in the lordship of Jesus Christ, the fact that he is at the right hand of the Father right now in power and in authority, ruling over all of his creation, both providentially and redemptively. And I take great comfort to know that in this crazy, mixed-up world that is, seems to me going out of control more by the day, He is still Lord over all. And I take great comfort to know that in the midst, uh, I'm not, give me a few moments. Let me speak to your heart. You checked your uh, retirement account lately? Huh? Uh, it didn't. It didn't looking good right now, huh? Guess what? The Lord Jesus Christ is King and Lord over that. And and Paul has this wonderful word for us: My God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I really want to talk to your heart now. How many of you, and I'll be the first to raise my hand. You don't even know what I'm raising, what I'm raising my hand about, but I'm going to tell you in just a moment. I'll be the first one to raise my hand to say, how many of you have ever been like me in a, 
situations in your life in the past, maybe even present. I don't think I'm in the present now, but it's definitely in the past, where I either did something, I said something, or I should have done something, but I didn't do it, and, or I, 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 I said things that I shouldn't have said, or maybe I should have said some things to build somebody, but I didn't do it. And maybe it was some things that I did were, it's causing me some personal trouble right now. Hello, am I talking to anybody right now in your life? You're dealing with any personal trouble, difficulty. Guess what? This text tells us that Jesus Christ is Lord over that. And all things, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, will work together for the good of all those who are called according to his purpose. So no matter whatever the pain and heartache and trouble that you feel right now, maybe from decisions or things that you should have done but didn't and all that, he's still Lord over it. Not only that, there are those of you here today who are mourning, who are grieving the loss of loved ones, the loss of dreams, the loss of hope. Maybe it was loved ones or dreams or maybe you've lost your job, whatever it might be. Jesus is Lord over that too. Let me, which leads me to say something very tender to you right now. My wife Beth and I have been married for a year and a half. We're newlyweds. <laughs> because we were both widowed five years ago. In September of 17, Beth's beloved husband of 30-some years, Johnny, the Lord called him home September 6th, five years ago, from lung cancer. He was like a brother to me. I loved him. I was serving the Chapin PCA congregation at that, right during that time period, and then shortly after I left, after they got their new pastor, after serving as interim, then just months later, the Lord called him home. That very day, that very day that Johnny went home to be with the Lord, my beloved bride of 35 years, Karen, and I received the terminal diagnosis from breast cancer. And then four weeks, four days later, the Lord called her home. And tonight, tonight, at 10 minutes after 8, it will mark the five-year anniversary of her homegoing. Yeah, Jesus is Lord over that. And in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your soul anguish, may not be the loss of a loved one. Maybe it is a, a parent, a grandparent, a, a, a daughter, a, a, a granddaughter, a grandson. 
Maybe it's the loss of a job, a hope, a dream, whatever it might be. Maybe for some of you, it's the loss of your health. The beautiful word from today's scripture is, Jesus is God's installed and king on Zion, his holy hill, and he is Lord over that too. And he can give you the comfort and strength and peace and hope that only he can give. I guarantee you the world cannot give it. And there are those in this room who can attest to that. I take great comfort in Psalm 2. In this crazy world that we live in with so much rage, so much hatred, so much disgust that's in the world today, I take great comfort to know that Jesus is God's anointed Messiah, installed as King and Lord over all, and from his throne, he sees you. He sees me. And he offers you all of the hope, all of the counsel, all of the strength, all of the peace and healing that your life needs for such a time as this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth stand together and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us throw off these bands and cut these cords. The one in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And he speaks to them in his wrath and he terrifies them in his fury saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. The Lord proclaims this decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with a rod of iron and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, be wise, O kings of the earth. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way, for his wrath can be kindled in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. I take great comfort and confidence today in the son's coronation. And I ask you to join me with it. That's the message of Psalm 2. bow in prayer. Almighty God, we stand in wonder, in terror of your awesome presence. We sometimes meander and wander away from the fury of your great presence. You are holy. 
You are righteous, you are truthful, you are just, you are sovereign, you are eternal. And yet at the same time, in the same breath, you are a God of love and compassion, a God of the covenant, a God who shows mercy to those who call out to you in humble reliance. And so we as a people today, oh God, in the crazy, messed up world that we're living in now, cry out to you in worship, in confession, in declaration, and in humility and in service to you, saying, oh God, we bow and fall before Jesus, our King and Lord, who is the great friend of sinners. And we ask, oh God, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, no matter where we are, no matter what we're battling with in our life, you would speak to us and strengthen us and comfort us and embolden us to be the people of God in this world, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Deeply apply these words to our hearts. We ask and pray this in your blessed name, Lord Jesus. Amen.